Good morning to you. Well, I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 6. I am not Pastor Hoy, if you did not notice. Uh, He is on vacation, and so uh, I'm filling in for him this week, and Pastor John will fill in next week as well. So we're taking a a short two-week break from uh, our study in 1 Timothy. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning, and I'm going to ask our God to bless our time as we study his word. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as humble sinners, those of us who know Christ, who were once under your wrath, and those who in this room do not yet know Christ are currently and presently under your wrath. But God, you loved us, and at the right time, you sent Jesus Christ to die for the ungodly, as we've learned in 1 Timothy 1.15, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And you can save any sinner to the uttermost from your wrath. You loved sinners. You sent your son to bleed and die for sinners. And you saved them for your glory. And now, Lord, those who are your people, you sustain us in the midst of a godless culture. Lord, would you help us now as we study your word to hear from you as to how to stand firm and how you will preserve our faith in the midst of this ungodly world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Western world is plummeting deeper and deeper into celebrated godlessness each day. This is nothing new for mankind. Let's keep that clear. You can't get one chapter away from the fall in Genesis chapter 3 before we witness the uh, crime of a heinous murder. A brother murders his own brother. And you can't get three chapters away from the fall in Genesis before God says this, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then God judges the earth at that time with a worldwide flood. And while our nation, the United States of America, has been far from sinless, we once had a culture where at least the majority of public sins were not celebrated. Now they are. We have lived in a culture at one time that if you chose not to celebrate and endorse sin, you were thought of as honorable. Now we no longer do. We are watching Romans 1 unfold before our very eyes. Romans 1 shows how desperately wicked mankind is when they reject God. Romans 1 concludes with a culture that not only practices sin, but celebrates sin and calls good evil and evil good. This is where we are now, and the landslide, my friends, has only begun. How is our faith preserved in such an environment? How do we keep believing the truth, living the truth, teaching, speaking the truth? How do we handle our employers, our teachers, our colleagues, our extended families, our neighbors that try to impose godless ideologies onto us each and every day? What's the solution? The introverts might want to pool all their resources and go live as monks. It's not what God would have for us. The type A personalities would like to maybe pool all of our resources and fight and overtake this culture with a sword. And that is not how God would have us go forward. How shall we persevere? Well, we're going to see this morning in Daniel chapter 6 
and Daniel's life, how he lived in the midst of a godless culture and how he held up under extreme pressure, pressure that none of us in this room, to my knowledge, have ever had to withstand. But even more than that, I don't want us to be impressed with Daniel this morning. I want us to be impressed with the God who sustained Daniel. And then ultimately, the greater Daniel that the Daniel in the book of Daniel points us to, and that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read Daniel 6 together and unpack it section by section. So please follow along with me. We're going to read the whole chapter, so buckle up and hang on. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever! Flattery, flattery, flattery. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, Establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, notice this, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, uh, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, "Uh, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored, so the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, uh, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, 
the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives, And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall shall have no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay. So to recap our story, we've got to kind of dig and see what details the Holy Spirit has put in here for us God's people and then make application to our lives. I want us to notice first Daniel's reputation in verses 1 through 5. Daniel had a very well-known reputation in this godless community. And this reputation actually gained him a position. He was one of the three highest, underneath Darius, rulers of the empire. It also gained him favor. There was a good spirit found in him. Darius was planning on making him the number two guy over the kingdom. He was going to be, in other words, the VP. And I want to pause just for a moment and speak to those of you who work in the secular work field. Daniel served a pagan empire so well that he had been promoted again and again. We see this also when he served underneath Nebuchadnezzar. And he was going to be promoted yet again. And it is not wrong, brothers and sisters, to be be successful in the world system, as God would allow you to climb the ranks, if you will. It is wrong, rather, to worship success or to seek it at all costs, like Daniel's enemies. Quick aside, so his position gained him, or rather his reputation gained him position, favor, but it also gained him enemies. It gained him enemies. Whenever we live a life that is godly and worthy of Jesus Christ, we will gain enemies. His enemies were envious of him. They maybe felt constrained by him because Daniel was hired with these other men to make sure that Darius suffered no loss. And if Daniel is in that high of a position to make sure that Darius' wealth is secure, there's no room then for any sort of underhanded, um, em- underhanded embezzlement. And they were perhaps even humiliated by Daniel. Notice what they said. O king, that, ex- that exile from Judah. Think about it. Daniel was a POW. He was a prisoner of war brought out of Babylon. This, Babel- this, this Jew out of Babylon... This guy going to be over me? A POW with power. No way. And what was this reputation, though, that he had? Well, the text tells us he was gifted in wisdom, knowledge, and interpretation. He was faithful to the empire in verse 4 and verse 22. And these things got him promoted and they got him hated. But he was also 
the primary reputation he carried with himself in a godless world is that he was faithful to his God. We see that in verse 5, verse 16, and verse 20. This was well known by his enemies. This was well known by his friends. This was known to be his ultimate loyalty. Daniel's love for God, his relationship with God, was not a secret to his worldly companions. Daniel was a man of integrity. He was the same man at work as he was at home. Just a quick pause. Most of our application will come at the end, but I want to ask, is this what your friends and co-workers of the world would say about you and I? That you are faithful and loyal primarily and ultimately to the Lord Jesus over all. Do they even know that you're a Christian? Do they know that this book is the rule and practice that you submit to and that you use to commune with God every day? What is your reputation in the world? Because our reputation is almost always an accurate picture of who we are. So that was Daniel's reputation. I want to look next at Darius's ordinance in verses 6 through 9. First, it had this great endorsement from these enemies of Daniel. These high officials came as, a, as agreement as, as a group. And it was a greatly exaggerated endorsement. Why? Why do I say that? Well, they came to Darius and they said this to him. They said, all the high officials of the kingdom, etc., etc., agree to this. Who do you think was a part of that group that would have not agreed to this? Daniel. They clearly have something out to get him. This is not that they thought this was a great idea. As a matter of fact, many scholars say that praying to a king at this time was not really a big thing in this culture. This was, a, this was a trap that they set to nab Daniel. It was not just some circumstance that he walked into blindly, per se, or that happened to him by coincidence. And what was this edict? That petitions and prayers were to be made to Darius alone for 30 days. And this is how it would be enforced. A, it was irrevocable by the law of the Medes and the Persians. You could not undo this once it was signed. And the consequence was death. And not just death. Death by lions. I don't know about you, but if I was asked to fill out and put in order the ways I'd want to die, that one would be way at the bottom. And so how did Daniel respond? What was Daniel's response? I, I love this. Look, look at this. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows open, his upper chamber, toward Jerusalem, got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. Daniel knew the ordinance. He got the memo, all of it. It was official from Darius. It was signed. And he was about to be Darius' right-hand man. He knew what this meant. But it was also, you know, only 30 days of duration. He knew this wasn't forever. And okay, well, yeah, the penalty was death by lions. So he had some choices to make. He could maybe complain to Darius. Hey, he's about to be his right-hand man. Hey, Darius, um, this is going to cause a conflict for me. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe I, you know, the second option, he could maybe hide for 30 days. Hey, well, Darius, you know, I've been working real hard. He's in his 80s by now, just so you know. I think I deserve a 30-day sabbatical. Why don't I leave the country for a while? Or maybe he could just refrain for 30 days. I mean, it's only prayer, right? Ah, 
not a big deal. Just don't pray for 30 days. This truly was a test of Daniel's allegiance to Yahweh, his God. As commentators uh, have said it this way, that this test matches Daniel's unquestioned loyalty to the state against his loyalty to God in an attempt to show how his devotion to his job might be compromised when it is pitted against his commitment to his religion. Brothers and sisters, this is the test we face when our workplace tells us to lie to someone who is experiencing gender dysphoria at the cost of our job. This is the test we face when our loved ones tell us they've chosen a gay lifestyle and want you to affirm it at the cost of the relationship if you don't. This is the test we face whenever our culture or our close family or our close friends or our employers call us to endorse and celebrate a lie versus truth or sin versus righteousness. Nothing has changed. This book speaks to where we live right now. It's living and it's active. God speaks to us right now in our day. Don't freak out. It's right here for us. So how does he respond ultimately? He disregards the ordinance. Listen to what Daniel did. Daniel went where he always went and did what he always did. He prayed towards Jerusalem for his people. Now you might say, okay, well, he didn't have to have his windows open and aim himself towards Jerusalem. I mean, I was a little foolish, right? Why did he do this? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8. I want to show you why. 1 Kings chapter 8. Daniel didn't just make this up as his, you know, God and I time set up. This was prescribed in the Scriptures for him. King Solomon has built the temple, dedicated the temple, and he's praying and he says this to God in 1 Kings chapter 8 in verse 46. Follow along with me, please. Verse 46. Solomon says, If they, Israel, sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, which is exactly where Daniel was, far off or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent, and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned, and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart, and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house, the temple, that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and plea and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. And it goes on and on about forgiveness. What Daniel was doing was being completely obedient to the Word of God in the midst of his trial. Daniel knew the Word of God and let the Word of God determine what he did in crisis. Imagine his case. If you read Daniel chapter 1, he is a teenager and part of those who were plundered and carried off to Babylon. Their names were changed. They tried to change their diet. They tried to indoctrinate them with the ideology and the teachings of Babylon. And Daniel, here we find him 60 years later, still faithfully praying this prayer. And if you want to know what that prayer is, read Daniel chapter 9. That's the prayer. 
And Daniel includes himself in the midst of those who need to repent. It's incredible. If we had time, I'd, I, I, I would read it. In the midst of living in a foreign land, being surrounded by a godless culture, Daniel was full of the word of God, and he was a man who persisted in prayer. He worshipped and he thanked God. I want you to notice he didn't just pray to be delivered from his circumstances. Though I'm sure that day he might have threw in the whole lion's den thing. But it tells us in our text, in Daniel chapter 6, that Daniel prayed and gave thanks before his God. In the midst of exile, he worshipped. In the midst of exile, he gave thanks. In the midst of an even more severe trial at the threat of the death by lions, he gave thanks to God. Daniel never let a heart of thanksgiving flee from him. And how often did he do this? Three times a day, habitually. For 60 years, day by day, he communed with God through prayer. In his teen years, he resolved he would follow God in this pagan land. And for all those years, he remained, he abided, and continued to follow God. What sustained Daniel in a godless world? The word of God in prayer. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, as Americans, we're looking for something big and flashy. Some grand deliverance from the skies. And yes, Jesus will come and part the skies and rule as king. I don't mean to diminish that. Do you want to know how our awesome, mighty God works in his people and sanctifies them and makes them like his son? Through the plain, ordinary means of grace. His word, prayer, his people. We don't put on a show. We don't have to try to innovate Christianity every 20 years to keep up. It's a simple word of God in prayer. And I'm sure he also had Christian community. He was friends with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they stood this same test in Daniel 3. Every day, brick by brick by brick by brick by brick by brick by brick, for 60 years, through prayer, through prayer, the Word of God, he fortified this wall so that when the test came, he stood fast. He stood fast. So what happens? He is caught and he is accused. He was found faithful to Yahweh, yet unfaithful to Darius' law. They come in and say, this exile from Judah, which is a derogatory way of putting it, pays no attention to you, Darius. Would that be said of us when our government or those outside of us would impose godless things upon us? As one commentator put it, the accusation leveled against Daniel, Daniel insinuates that this act of insubordination makes Daniel a dangerous subversive who pays no attention to you and thus a threat to the stability of of the kingdom. Is that not what we face? If we take a stand for truth, we're seen as a threat. A threat to our godless society. Our obedience to God versus our culture castigates us today as dangerous to society and the well-being of others. This is nothing new. You stand arm in arm with people like Daniel. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. That we stand with those who persevered by faith. So what's Darius's order, verses 14 through 18? Well, first he attempted to deliver Daniel. He was so distressed. He gave every effort he could to undo his own verdict all day, and he couldn't do it. He was reminded by these men to damn Daniel. The law he made was above him. The law he made bound him. There was no way out. This king could not deliver Daniel. And therefore he commanded to doom Daniel in verse 16, ordered his execution while hoping for his deliverance. 
And he was so overwhelmed by distress and helplessness, this, the mightiest man probably in the known world at that time. He didn't eat. He didn't sleep. And it says no diversions were brought to him. You know what that means? No entertainment. He, wasn't, he couldn't binge watch his way out of this one. He was so stressed out. He was up all night. What happens then in verses 19 through 24? Daniel's rescue. Darius seeks Daniel. He runs quickly, cries loudly. And this, my brothers and sisters, is the question of the chapter. A little bit of Hebrew for you. A lot of Hebrew writers would write in a chiastic structure, just simple terms. What that means is it was written in a poetic way in that the first line of of the passage and the last line of the passage mirrored each other. Then the second line and the second to last mirrored each other and so on and so forth until you came to the middle. And the middle phrase or action that happened is the main point of the whole passage. You want to know what it is? Here it is. He says to him, O Daniel, Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? That's the main point of the passage. And you want to know what the answer is? A resounding yes! Yes! Daniel speaks to Darius. God was able to do what Darius, the most powerful man on earth, could not do. And I notice this. He graciously and respectfully greets Darius. I'm like, are you serious? I, bro, you threw me in here. He still respects the world. He's not bitter at those who have oppressed him. Let that instruct us. When your boss comes at you and levels these kinds of things against you or your family member, you don't treat them bitterly. Look at what he says, O king, live forever. (laughs) That's amazing. His great God, he says, shut the lion's mouths, kept the lion's back. This was not, you know, some circumstance where the lions were full or Daniel, you know, had a little laser and was making him chase it around the cave. <laughs> this was nothing short of a miracle. The angel came and shut the lion's mouth. And how do we know? The second that his enemies are dropped in, what happens? Before they even reach the bottom. Crushed. Crushed. He says that he was guiltless in his heart. He was guiltless before God and guiltless before Darius. And I want to teach us something this morning, Okay what this text tells us. If you are guiltless before God, you are always guiltless before man. Even if they say you're not, even if they don't recognize it, if they say you're a jerk, you're a bigot, you are wronging me, how could you, how dare you, if you are doing the right thing in God's eyes, you are doing the right thing towards them. There's no dichotomy there. And then Darius slash God, really, Ultimately, God saves Daniel. He brings him up out of the pit with joy. Daniel was spotless, meaning there was not a scratch on him. He wasn't even playing with him and letting him gnaw his arm, you know. Nothing. Nothing. Cats can do some damage. Why, though? Why? Why was he rescued? Because he trusted in his God. Not because he performed his own act or his own works. He had faith in Yahweh. And so then Darius slash God, ultimately God, sentences Daniel's accusers. The men, their families are executed by the same fate they unjustly tried to bring upon Daniel. You know what else this teaches us? Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to us. Daniel left justice to God. And so then this is, wow, this is it right here. This new ordinance, Darius's new ordinance that replaced his old ordinance. He addressed it to all peoples, all nations, all languages. Sound a little familiar? 
John LaRusso is not even here to say amen. Alex is here. Three times in the book of Daniel, God is glorified from the lips of a pagan king. You know that text that says that the, the, the king's heart is in God's hand? Did Pastor Jason talk about this last week and he turns it and it's right here. It's right here. He gives glory to God, tells the whole world that not only is it now permissible to worship God, people are to all tremble and fear before him. And then Daniel prospers the rest of his life as God gets the glory through him and always gets it one way or another. Okay, so that's our story. We're going to wrap up with application. How do we remain faithful? How do we live like this, like Daniel lived? Do we simply emulate Daniel? Dare to be a Daniel? No. No, we don't. Apart from God, Daniel was absolutely nothing. You want to know what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15 about abiding in him? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Do you think that was different in Daniel's day? Daniel didn't even have the Spirit dwelling in him the same way you and I do. He had the Spirit, but not in the same way. We must start with truths bigger than ourselves about God, about his sovereignty, about his ability, as Alex quoted from Matthew 28 In verse 20, that Jesus, as he calls us to go, says what? Lo, I am with you always. We must start with bigger truths. Then we can, by the Spirit, live faithfully as our brother Daniel did. So what truths do I want us to start grasping this morning? First one is this. This world can neither satisfy us nor save us. Never. So don't even try to appeal to it, to appease it. The minute you do something for them, you owe them something else the next second. This world is not our home. It will neither satisfy us nor save us. It will never fulfill a single promise that it makes. We learn this primarily from the antagonists in our story. Those who are trying to get Daniel. We are not to primarily pursue, we're not to, sorry, we're not to pursue primarily position or possessions as our God, like these men did. Daniel's accusers were two of the three second highest in the kingdom, and the rest were governors. They wielded power within a, wor- within a worldwide empire. They probably had many possessions and riches themselves. They may have even been abusing the system so they were super wealthy. Yet they were not content with what they had because Daniel was going to be promoted. They were filled with pride and envy. Discontentment is always bred by a dissatisfaction in God and unthankfulness for what he has provided. And obviously every unbeliever lives here. And believers can be tempted to go there. You all know, or I'd assume a lot of you know the story of David and Bathsheba. And how he killed Uriah, her husband. In 2 Samuel, when Nathan the prophet accuses Daniel, or David rather, he doesn't come to him and say, you're the man who committed adultery. You're the man who committed murder. You want to know what God pointed at the root of David's sin? He says, I made you king. I gave you the land. I gave you this, I gave you that. And that wasn't enough for you? You had to go take your neighbor's one sheep? Really, David? David was discontent in this season of his life with God. Brothers and sisters, no authority, no distraction, no pleasure in this world will ever be able to free us or satisfy us. Look at Darius the king in his own land, in his own, with his own law, was bound him and he couldn't free Daniel. He labored all day, couldn't be entertained away from his anxiety, and he ended up having to defer to Daniel's God. No person, position, or pill will ever deliver us. So brother or sister, if 
You're pursuing the world's riches and pleasures. They'll never be enough. Just don't even try. Don't try to compromise with the world now. If you're suffering at the hand of someone else or yourself, the world will never be able to deliver you. If you try to like, find a way to be faithful to Jesus and give the world what they want at your work so you can keep your job, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We must live in this world as, ping- as pilgrims, not residents. This world cannot and will never satisfy us nor save us. But second, our God can and will both satisfy us and save us. That's, that's the hope. That's the glory. In the midst of this sinful world, God is enough to satisfy and able to save. Love, pursue, and know God now. I don't, I don't want us to focus necessarily on Daniel's stand that he made. I want us to focus on his walk before the stand. Notice the text. This is one of the most... Details are so important, and this is probably one of the most important words of this whole chapter. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks for his God. Read, read it with me. As he had done previously. This was what he had done all along. When faithfulness to God is a habit of life and the test comes, you just keep going. Just keep going, right? No athlete waits until game day to train. No successful athlete, anyway. No successful soldier waits until you're getting dropped off at the beach to train. You don't. You train beforehand. And Daniel knew his God, which we see in chapter 2 and chapter 9. He knew God very well. He knew God's word. He gave thanks to God. He continually prayed to God. This was his regular routine. So brothers and sisters, don't wait until the test to fill your heart with the right answers. It's not, it doesn't work. Kerry Colabroy will appreciate this. Before I was a Christian, I took a cheat sheet into my chemistry final my junior year, and I still got a 56. <laughs> I waited till test day to, quote, study. Chemistry is not a subject you can do that with. Not at all. Our daily walk with God today determines our response to trials tomorrow. I could ask you how you will respond when the world comes and tempts you and tests you to choose obedience to them over God, but I believe the real answer, or the real issue rather, is this. How are you walking with God right now? Right now, every day. Let's now look at the fruit of Daniel's abiding in Christ as well as he could know, abiding in Yahweh, remaining in him through his word, through prayer, through his people, and let's see how we can then live in this godless world when we abide in Jesus, okay? Let's see what God can do through us. That's the point. Not us just mustering up our own strength and daring to be a Daniel, but through his strength, abiding in him through a relationship, being obedient, okay? So first, when we walk with Jesus daily, we are enabled to live lives of integrity, Because we know who he is, and therefore, because we're in him, we know who we are. We can be who we are no matter where we are. Daniel's reputation with all people was constant. He loved God more than them. We can be who we need to be and who we are no matter the consequences. As we have done previously, we can say no to lies and yes to truth. As one commentator put it, when prayer becomes fashionable... Praying in secret may be a good thing. But when prayer is prohibited, to pray in private becomes an act of cowardice. We can live godly lives in front of our 
coworkers, our friends, our family now. Show the world what it means to you to be totally secure in your identity as a follower of Christ in a world where they don't even know the meaning of identity. Second, when we walk with Jesus daily, we are enabled to let trials have their maturing work in our lives. That's what James says in James chapter 1. In the event of suffering and persecution, God is able to strengthen and ultimately deliver us. But notice, not always and ultimately from the danger, but in and through the danger. Notice God let Daniel go into the den of lions. In chapter 3, he let Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the furnace. Through it, he rescued them. Just like Scripture says, through many trials, he will persevere and rescue us from this world. And through it, his confidence in God was strengthened. God had a purpose in sending Daniel to that den, his glory, as we read that proclamation in verses 25 through 27. This is God's purpose for his people through our trials. His glory, our good. Both of those things all the time. And ultimately, this world cannot harm us. So you die. Where do you go? You get to go be with Jesus, as Paul says, which is better. Thirdly, when we walk with Jesus daily, we are able to love our neighbors in the midst of persecution. Notice how Daniel loved Darius, verse 21. He loved him. Daniel also in chapter 4 loved Nebuchadnezzar. Do we sincerely love those who pressure us and persecute us or do we want to just shove them away and get them out of our lives? Do you still have a desire in your heart for God to bless those people with the gospel of his son or do you want them just to go to hell and leave you alone? We, want, we need to ha- we'll have that same love in our hearts as Daniel had for Darius to the, our culture around us. Fourthly, when we walk with Jesus daily, we are able to leave justice to God in the midst of persecution. God took care of Daniel's enemies, verse 24. Daniel didn't try to repay them. God will repay our enemies. Leave that to him. He will right all wrongs. Even if you read the book of Revelation, there are still saints there right now that are resting with God and they're saying, Lord, how long do you avenge our blood? Because they were martyred for the faith. And Jesus looks at them and says, wait a little longer. Why? I'm still saving sinners. Still saving sinners. You can have that same posture of heart when you walk with Jesus daily. Lastly, when we walk with Jesus daily, we are able to love God's glory more than our safety. And that's, that's, that's part of the key, brothers and sisters. Look at how God displayed himself through Daniel's distress. As sovereign king who is able to rescue his people from anything the world throws at them, God decrees through the mouth of a pagan king who he is. God can do that in any sort of um, obstinance or oppression that you you and I face. So lastly, we need to point this to Jesus because Jesus tells us in, in Luke 24 that the whole Old Testament is about him. Our God does all these things, satisfies us, saves us, enables us to walk with him through Jesus Christ. We look to Jesus he saves us, you ask. Why? I'm not headed to a lion's den. No, we were headed to hell. We are rightly accused by our conscience, the devil and God, for being sinners, unlike Daniel was not rightly accused by his enemies. We don't need anyone to set us up. And God, like Darius, cannot and will not forgo his holy character and law to free us. Dan- Darius was bound by this law outside of him. God is bound by the law inside of him. He's consistent with himself. We are not headed to a den of lions, perhaps, but to the lake of fire. We won't be crushed by the lion's teeth, but we will gnash our own teeth under the mighty wrath of God forever if we are not rescued. How? 
How then can God save us? Darius couldn't, this world can't, but God can. How? Jesus, like Daniel, falsely accused because he had jealous enemies. Jesus, like Daniel, and better than Daniel, remained faithful to God even under threat and knowledge of impending death. Daniel escaped the judgment of Darius. Jesus absorbed and satisfied the judgment of God. Jesus was placed not in a den alive, but in a tomb dead, and it was sealed like Daniel's den with an official's seal. Jesus was not pulled out by a king, but resurrected and walked out as king. Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God so that you and I could go free and not live under the fear of the world. And now, brothers and sisters, he satisfies our very soul. Read Philippians chapter 3 and what Paul has to say about him. Read Psalm 16. So, if you're in this room and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is coming for you. Repent and believe the gospel that this Jesus walked out of that grave alive so that you could have all your sins forgiven today if you turn away from them and place your trust in him and what he did on that cross for you. Believers, the wrath of God is satisfied. We are God's children. We have his spirit. We are called to and must commune with him every day, including today. And he will preserve us in this perverted day in which we live.